0: I'm Brent David Fraser. I went to high school um, with a friend of mine uh, who's an actor now, Billy Burke, and um, we uh, we were hanging out. And I I was very social in high school. I didn't I didn't go to a lot of classes. I didn't really. No, what I was going to do, I was always a class clown, I was always um, very entertaining. I, I grew up singing and playing music and doing all that, that kind of stuff. I never really got into drama club until my senior year in high school. But um, when we were still in Bellingham, um, we were hanging out. We were outside in his, in his big Delta 88. It was, a, I think, a summer evening. It was very classic Americana kind of. We were waiting for a friend of ours to to go get some money from his dad and come get in the car. And 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 Billy says, um, "So Fraser, what are you gonna do with your with your life? What's your what's your dream? What do you want to do?" And I was like, "I don't know." I I uh, I was like, "I don't know," and I'd been saying stockbroker for <laughs> and that was just like, I'd been asked this a couple of times and I was like. You know, you need to have an answer for this question and we get, pick one that sounds good, you know. Stockbroker, oh, you know. And I said, I don't know, Stockbroker. And he goes, what? And I was like, uh, yeah, what? It's not good? And he said, no, it's not good, you idiot. You know, and I was like, why? What's wrong with that? And he goes, no, I don't know. I guess I always thought you'd do something in the entertainment field. And I, and I had this dream inside um, to do that. I mean, I had this. But I had no, there wasn't anything in my immediate world that would, I, would, I, I didn't have a, a plan of how a person did that, you know. And, um, but internally, I made a decision, you know, at that. And he was going to do the same thing, you know, we were sort of on this, you know, we started out on this path together. So, um, uh, you know, it was, uh, it, internally I made that decision. And when, when I moved to Seattle, I started to do semi-professional theater, and, um, and then a couple of films came to town and I got the chance to audition for those. I did, I did a couple of non-union films there and then a couple of films that were union films and I got my, I got my Taft-Hartley contract on The Chocolate War which means that's your, that's your you become SAG eligible. And, um, that was my first union thing. And then class of 1999, I joined the union, you know, the casting director from that film said, uh, you know, I'm going to go into management, Kathy Henderson. She was just such an amazing lady, just colorful, big lady, not big, like just a big personality. She was awesome and, and totally like go get her. And, um, yeah. And I, and I, I came down, I actually like, I got into some legal trouble and, um, just stupid stuff, I have a lot of stupid stuff in my long story, um, and it was it was a good time to leave Washington, <laughs> and she was like, why don't you come, you know, come and give it a try in L.A., and I thought, perfect, perfect, I'm out of here, so, um, and I got to L.A., and I got, I booked a film in like, day three of being here, and, um, and I booked this, a film that took like, well, about another year and a half to, to actually get rolling on Jezebel's Kiss with um, with Malcolm McDowell and Meg Foster. And then um, I got a, a Disney Channel movie with Robert Urich like a week and a half later. And that was a good one. It filled my pockets with money and and, uh, and I, was up, I was off and running. So what is it? I want to talk to you. About what? About your work. My work speaks for itself. I've been, you know, known to be like a professional bridge burner or foot shooter and, um, and I had these periods where I'd do really well for a while and then I'd get all screwy and, um, and wreck a bunch of stuff and I'd have to like pull myself back together and make a comeback. Um, all classic, you know, nothing original, drugs, alcohol, all that kind of stuff and a horrible attitude and a really overblown sense of myself. So I was in one of these phases and this movie came along. and, and um, and it was not a big film or whatever, but it was a good cast. It was a decent script. It was, it was going to, you could tell it was going to be like cool, dark, moody, you know, and it, and it was, you know, intense and the art stuff. I mean, it just all had the, it had this potential and I really wanted the film, um, whether it was gonna, you know, be, you know, be another one of these comebacks that I <laughs> was known for making, um, we didn't know, but it had some potential and, um. So I went an audition, and it came down to, I was sitting there with Faden, and, and he had dated, I think this had more to do with getting the role than almost anything. There were two things. He had dated Drew Barrymore. And he'd seen me, met me, seen me. I didn't really, I vaguely recollected this party that supposedly um, we'd been at. And he'd met me. He's like, oh, yeah. And I was like, yeah, sure. <laughs> you know? And, um... And But he was a really, I mean, it wasn't obviously, it wasn't solely contingent upon that. I had to, to earn the part. And I was up against this actor, Peter Green. Um, and he, he died. Um, he was a really good, intense uh, guy. And it was me and him. And I went in um, for it, and I was like, I'm going to lay it all out on the table. And I, I thought they had a few script problems. So I went in, and I just said... Um, you know, you've got some challenges with the script here, and, 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 you know, the deal is if you don't hire me, I don't think that, that you're going to find anyone else who can make those script challenges work, and <laughs> they were like, and it, it's not the kind of thing I would characteristically say. I, I it was, sounded really boastful, and I, but, you know, but I just laid it out, I said, you, you know, I know how to handle this material, and I don't think anyone else does. And um, and they knew they had a few script problems, and they trusted what I said, and they hired me. And I was it was a big deal for me to beat out Peter Green because there was a lot of excitement on him at the time. I think he'd been in Reservoir Dogs, um, I, and and I hadn't even I was such an idiot I didn't even go in on Reservoir Dogs. I was like, uh, eh, I don't get it. You know, and everyone in Hollywood wanted to be in this movie, and he was in he was in this movie, and. And so to have him come back around for something that was so, such a competitive piece at the time, and I had relatively nothing, and I just, I egoed my way, (laughs) you know, basically into the role. Uh, Or at least that's uh, as I remember it. (laughs) But it was definitely more of a, my name above the title. It was the, the biggest billing that I had had. It felt more substantial in terms of like really sort of carrying the film. I liked the art aspect of it. I'd been a painter when I was a kid. I, actually, when I was a kid, probably the, the thing I was for sure thought I was gonna do was be a painter when I grew up. Um, and uh, so I liked that. I had not painted in a long time, and I was gonna get to do some of some of that just for film. But it, but it sounded like. And I think the kind of character was more um, multi-dimensional I mean there was the intensity of of the artist and, and a sort of mental um, y- you know that traumatic thing that had happened so there was the playing of that and it was also a, a love you know there was this you know uh, it was a, it was a romantic lead you know so it had lots of it was multidimensional dimensional had lots of different aspects of, you know um, and, and it was my first Time I was really uh, like because I kept my facial hair and you know they wanted me to be able to play older. I was playing much older than I was. It was my first sort of like man, you know, adult man kind of role. Like being in the seventh circle of hell, huh? Finola Hughes um, was great to work with. She um, she's a really you can tell uh, you know if you just watch her, if you've ever seen her interviewed, you watch her work, you tell she was a really classy lady. And, um, and she was a lot of fun. She had a great sense of humor. She was, she was very willing to try things, you know, in work to, she's a good actress, you know. She's, with that much experience, you know, people want to, like, bag on soaps and that kind of stuff. But those actors, they're, they're consummate professionals. They're, they're technically perfect most of the time, you know, at least she is. So, um, and she's beautiful, beautiful, and she was fun, and she would tell stories of, she you know, got an Irish family, and she would tell these stories of this character, he was like a town, I think he was a town drunk or something like that, and his name was, and he said, he would say, oh, Christ, and his name was Christy, so they'd call him Christy Christ, and so she'd tell these stories that, that Christy Christ would, you know, these little anecdotal kind of stories, and stuff like that it was a lot of fun and her husband would hang out on set sometimes and he was a really cool guy a really cool uh, convertible if i remember really cool guy they were they were fun people to have around why the particular interest in julian johns why not he's very much like me single-minded obsessed haunted you could say i've been waiting for julian johns to come along Some i mean you know, one-of-a-kind, that guy. Um, he's fun, he's, uh, he's big, he's a big personality, you know, and he's really straightforward and, and he's done so many films, he's again, you know, total professional, but he likes to joke around, he likes to make light of things and, and you know, and, and he's inventive, he's one of those actors that will come up with things, you know, to, to, to try to create a moment, you know, on film and um, so so he's not there's nothing stale in in the working of it so it's always lively and you know and just fun you know the guy's a, a kick he's crazy he's really <laughs> he's like certifiable but but in a good way both show i was excited to have him in the movie just because of his um european appeal and he's a really you know he's a well-known and serious actor um I've had the chance on a, on a few jobs to work with, you know, different European actors and, um, and they, they just have a great style and approach, so it was just cool to have them. You know, if you're trying to get laid, I can think of an easier way to do it. Moon was, was a, was a kick. She's just funny and, and fun. She makes jokes a lot. She's a really dry humor. Good, healthy sarcasm and, um, and really fun. And I, uh, you know, and of course, you know, you could, you could talk for hours about, you know, wanting to pick her brain about her dad, um, her brother, you know, all that kind of stuff. They're an amazing family, so um, that was great. Julian, you're a great artist. Your work stands tall on its own. But, you know, you, you, you've got a certain notoriety, too, and if we can make that work for us. That's the name of the game, isn't it? He was just a really nice, you know, really nice guy, really sweet, really warm. He he was perfect for the role, and he was so much of that character. But he he played, he sort of accentuated certain characteristics, and, and you know, made things funnier, bigger, uh, you know, than they were in the script. You know, sort of, he really filled out the the character with you know stuff that he wanted to bring to it. Um, And he was just, you know, he was a gentleman, sweet. I mean, all these people were just like, you know, there wasn't anyone besides me who was like difficult or hard to be around. (laughs) Faden Papa Michael. Faden was uh, a terrific guy, and he was really, he was really, like, he had fresh ideas and was fun. And it's always interesting to get to work work with a director who's also a cinematographer, a good cinematographer. and uh, you know it's, his capability with a camera to come up with what shot was going to work you know we didn't have a lot of extra you know in the budget for things so sometimes you know he'd have to you know you got to be able to be inventive and, and and a guy who's so adept with a camera like that um, and in working with actors you know so he knows he knows the motion of the camera and he also Understands what needs to be picked up with the actress. His sensitivity to both, the combination of those things, um, is you know, it's just a pleasure to have because it gives you this confidence. You know, you know you're going to get it. You know, you're, something's going. It's not going to be some goofy, weird static shot. There's the one cover that you, that you're probably familiar with, with half of Finola's face, and then, um, and then the names and whatever. There had been this other European. Um, I, I, I gave it to the to the um, producers for this release. I had it. It was a, a card that they were using for um, the American Film market, the A.F.M. thing that they do at Lowe's Hotel, and um, and I'd grabbed a pile of these when we were there. And it was more for like European sale. It had the girl laid out. She was naked. Um, and I had uh, and I'm we'd had this this scene that we we're gonna do where Finola's supposed to be having uh, a nightmare that I appear in Um, because she's you know getting to where like is he the killer is he not you know so we thought what are we going to do for this this we're supposed to have me be this horrifying scary whatever and we're in the makeup trailer and and we're like joking around really seriously not we just thought let's freak out Faden and um, uh, like come with some ridiculous idea that so we painted my whole face red um, I think I started putting lipstick. She goes, no, 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 stop. She pulls out this red thing, smears red all over my face. And I'm supposed to be perched on this metal thing that was sticking out of the ground. And I, So I come out, I'm in my underwear, and I have this red face. And, and I thought he's, you know, going to flip out. And he goes, oh, I love it. <laughs> and it became the image that they used on the on the sales card for the European thing, the film market, and all of that. Uh, that's really not a very funny anecdotal thing but it was one of the things uh... that i it's one of the things that i can remember as being completely accidental and it turned out to be actually a really cool thing the soundtrack guy was a guy named tom hile and i was at the time i had been doing um... some sessions i'd had a new music manager this guy andy slater and i had been doing some sessions with um... with uh... Warren Yvonne, and the Beastie Boys and um, and some of Don Henley's band. And so I, was, I had these, this music on tape. Yeah, so Faden just asked about it. Again, like that, oh, well, yeah, I'd love to hear that. Like, not in that weird way that people BS you and say, oh, sure, let me hear it. You know, oh, yeah, we're not going to be able to use that. You know, I mean, I just hand him a tape and, and he's like, yeah, we want to use two of these songs. And um, they weren't, they were both... We would do recording um, when I was, you know, working with all those people, um, and then we'd kind of give everyone a rest. And then Andy would say, "Why don't we just knock out a couple of acoustic tunes?" So, um, so these were a couple of the songs. One's called "Peace Beyond Your Ashes," and one's called "Strawberry Lane." And um, he wanted to use these. One, one is uh, the sort of montage painting scene, and they use "Strawberry Lane" in that. And then, um, and the one in the end of the film is called peace beyond your action it's sort of about someone dying and and or, and an internal kind of a, a death I mean they worked for the film with stuff that Andy and I were doing and you know what he wanted to do with these these things we didn't really know exactly what the ultimate destination for any of that music was going to be but you know it just by happenstance ends up on the soundtrack for this film That was kind of cool he's not union how very perceptive of you miss Cole you know, I made that same observation at the opening. There were times on the set where we were like, they were like rewriting or tweaking little things, timeline things and stuff like that, um, and those all worked. And I was watching it thinking, wow, wow, we, that worked. Cool, you know. And at the end, it was just a little, I felt, that, I, I felt that my performance really lacked in the end. And I always hate that, because there it is. It's done. It's immortalized. Um, And you can't go back and change it, you know, and I would have done some things differently, but I remember on the set that day in that climax scene feeling like it felt, it's the only thing where I, the only time in the film where I felt there was kind of a static, you know, whatever, and luckily it flows on out to the rooftop scene um, before the, before the credits roll, and it's where I've had this psychic break and I understand everything that's happened now, And, and so it's a good, strong finish between finola and me um... but uh... overall i thought for what we were working with um... you know in terms of money and for and for so many people with their capability to work on the fly and to to do this you know and and the whole great feeling of the of the people and all that to see it come together and see that it it worked and really you know it's like To see everyone happy with it, you know. I mean, you know, and my, I might be, I might be being nitpicky about, um, about my own, you know, my own critique uh, of my own performance, you know, at different points. But overall, it was just great to see. It was like, wow, this is. It was really cool looking. Shot a really cool place. It had this great cast. Everyone, you know, brought so many different kinds of characters to bring them all together and have them work. in their different ways, you know, so many different acting styles and everything. I just thought, you know, it was really cool, I was really proud of this film. Yeah, you know, it's unfortunate with this film, when this company kind of disappeared, you know, I would see every now and then this film getting played, um, you know, in some market overseas. IMDb keeps a, a kind of a loose track of that, so I'd see it playing in Britain or something on TV or something like that, cable over there. and. um and really, after this, after this uh, company kind of disappeared, this, some people went on obviously to, to, to sell it and ha- and profit from it. Um, but I had I haven't seen a residual or uh, a royalty from any uh, thing from this film probably in 15 years. When I was making the, you know, the attempted comeback thing, gotten this new manager and this this agent that I'd worked with, and she was ready to kind of like, okay, we're really going to do this, you know, and I hadn't worked and whatever. And it, I seemed to have this, you know, go get it, whatever kind of attitude, this this to or this new, whatever. So they were kind of, you know, I think that the, the these new representatives were kind of exciting because I'd gone out and nabbed this film from... Peter Green and, you know, and, and there are all these good people attached to it and whatever. Um, so, and, and my heart was really in the whole thing and, and I really wanted to see it do well and blah, 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 blah. And, um, and then <laughs> they, they saw the film and they're like, yeah, this really isn't the kind of, you know, she wanted the agent this this woman jennifer hagany she doesn't agent anymore um she she's married to she did, went and got married to andrew Shu, who's one of the 90210 actors and um anyway she had wanted this to be a piece that she could then go into um uh united talent they're they they do not exist anymore but they were a big agency and um and i'd been with them before but i went back to her and she's like well, we need something that'll be exciting and she wanted to be able to take this in, and she saw the film, and she's like, yeah, this isn't the kind of film that's going to get everyone excited over there. And because they were, you know, they weren't really, the low-budget film, independent market, it was, it was, if it hadn't, like, really, you know. So it was really hard to get people to, you know, now it's just a fact of the industry, but but it was hard then. So the thing I had all this hope for, you know, because um, I, I personally was so attached to the film, it turned out to be, you know, rather I had to then go find a different agent. <laughs> you know, not because they thought it was a bad film, just because they wanted like a showpiece that that, you know, that, that was a bigger and glitzier and showed more money and, you know, whatever, like A-list kind of film, and this just wasn't that. This was just a cool independent film. Malcolm McDowell, Meredith Baxter, um, Meg Foster, she was, you know, those crystalline blue eyes and she was just a wonderful lady, really earthy, really smart, really uh, just a full personality. And Malcolm, Malcolm, uh, you know, was great, he'd have, he he had a big, he had this big motor home. Um, And it was interesting, you know, you get get these little tastes of people's lives, because he like had this new uh, girlfriend. Um, I think his wife brought his kids, to, his ex-wife Mary Steenburgen brought his kids to the set one time to get to meet the kids, and then there's Mary Steenburgen, and then, you know, you sort of, you know, we're up in Eureka, and, um, which is beautiful, and Trinidad, those beaches up there, and all that great coastal stuff, and, you know, you're working with, you know, when I was a teenager, Clockwork Orange, you know, this was like, this is Malcolm McDowell, some stuff that I'd gone, you know, when I was a kid, and, and wanted to find when I was going to, you know, studying actors, you know, I went and the people that I that had been culturally impactful, you know, I went and, and started to want to see other work of theirs, and I, um, so then you're on the set, and the guy's playing your dad, you know, and um, I remember um, we shot, I I'd shoot myself in front of him. Um, uh, you know, he's this father I can't please, um, and it's just never going to be good enough. And he goes and steals Jezebel uh, away, f- you know, from me. And he kind of taunts me like, "Why is she going to be with you?" You know, everything you have is mine. You know, and and then he says, you know, um, like, "I'm the source, and you're nothing, whatever." And then I have this gun. I want to shoot him, but I shoot myself in front of him. That's going to be a greater punishment, whatever. We're shooting that film, we're shooting that that scene, and um, we do his, he's the star, you know, he's Malcolm McDowell, they always shoot the star first. So we shoot him first, and I gave everything um, in my off camera, you know, because I just thought that's what you're gonna do. They finished with this. I really didn't have much, I basically had to like technically cry and sort of, you know, essentially what we call faking it (laughs) through the turnaround on me. Um, but when we finished that, um, that part, he stopped the whole set and said, oh, you know, ladies and gentlemen, I want everyone to take notice of a real actor who he just sat here for every take and gave me everything he had, you know. And when Malcolm McDowell, it gives me a shiver now just saying it, you know, when someone like that says that kind of thing. And it was very, it was very gratifying. Really cool guy. And it's nice. And I always do that with people that I work with to, to point out how great a job they're doing if they are doing that because it's, it's just, you know, it's really, it's the kind of thing that people who drop their, no one's trying to be the, the bigger ego. That's a person who's like the ability to be humble with other people and, and acknowledge their efforts and that kind of stuff. That's just classy. That's, that's, those are the, like the real professionals. Those are the guys with longevity in, the, in their careers. Catherine and I reconnected uh, many years later actually I used I had an old IMDB headshot that Catherine shot for me Um, uh, and I forget how we ran into each other somewhere socially and she was with her daughter I remember I would see her daughter in in this in a social setting and um, before I knew that it was her daughter Um, and she was you know, this gorgeous girl, you know, and guys that I didn't, we'd really be like, oh my God, who is that, <laughs> you know? And um, and then one time she was with her mom, and I'm like, Catherine? And then I'm like, Sasha? <laughs> you know, because the last time I'd seen her, she was eight years old. Um, so, yeah, it was cooler than hell, you know, and I, I you know, they, they lived in this place over in Beverly Hills, Catherine and I would go grab food sometimes and whatever, and she shot my headshot, and it was cool. We hung out for a bit. It was just kind of cool to reconnect, and she was like, she'd be hanging out, you know, the, her, she and her mom lived together. She was completely like this teenage, you know, all of the, like, you know, this Beverly Hills teenager, <laughs> kind of like, I was totally uninteresting to her at all. This was like her mom, you know, she's like rolling her eyes all the time, like, Oh, mom, you know, like she totally like it's so cool to be so utterly unimportant to someone. And like, oh, yeah, you know, like whatever, whoever, when I was eight years old, who cares, <laughs> you know, what, you know, who, what, what was your name again? I mean, she wasn't mean about it, but it was like I just could not be less interesting, <laughs> you know, to her. So that was kind of funny. I feel weird calling it Wild Arkin too, because it was, it started out as Blue Movie Blue, which I thought was good, and then they. One called it Wild Orchid, too, because they thought that they would somehow dupe the uh, audience who liked Wild Orchid into going and seeing, and then, you know, obviously people are going to feel jilted because they go and see, and they're like, Mickey Rourke's not in this. No, there's nothing to do with no connection at all, and people feel like, you know, dick, <laughs> you know, so, um, and that wasn't Zalman's idea at all. Um, that was that was the marketing people who'd, ha- who'd gotten their hands on it, and, you know, it's, and I, and I think it, it did a real disservice to the film. but anyway, you know, Zalman's got a very European style, um, you know a very he's got his own approach and he's you know the guy had been an actor for a long time he was, a, he was also a terrific musician for a long time. Very sad uh, about his recent death because I always sort of you know you sort of when you work with Zalman you get it's very familial. you know I became friends with his daughters. Um, hung out at his house a couple of times, that kind of stuff. You know, it's very familial kind of thing. So you get attached to people. Um, and that set had a lot of that kind of feel too. You know, Nina, Shumosko and I doing that. Um, we were, it drew us really close. It was just, there was a lot about it that, that, um, you know, I remember my, my, <laughs> my girlfriend, Perry Reeves, this other actress I was with at the time. And, and You know, like the intimacy of this is like going to be a threat to our relationship because the intimacy of, you know, my scenes with Nina and all that kind of stuff. Just stuff like that. I mean, you really get enmeshed in people's lives. You know, it spreads out into your, it becomes your life or something like that. That everyone, you know, it's it's very, you know, intimate kind of stuff. So, so that was, you know, that was really wonderful in terms of that. And I I remember the other thing that was really cool about that um, film is that. The guys that that came down to to do to get that role um, uh, were me and Brad Pitt, and I got and and he was I think he'd done Selma Louise or you know the guy was hot at that time he'd done a couple of he'd done a couple done a series TV series that did okay um, but it you know it had put him out there I mean it was like he could obviously we know what was going to happen with his career so so I was always pretty gratified to know that. It, that I was the one that ended up with that role, not him. Robert was, was uh, terrific. I mean, he's like, you know, he's, he's a really solid, like he has this, you know, this, this uh, uh, kind of loyalty, kind of, you know, he's protective of people. He's, um, he's a big fan of Robert Dobby, you know? But he's great. It's not offensive or anything like that. It's entertaining and he plays with it, you know, and he tells you about his singing career. He's got a great voice. He's actually a really um, fantastic singer, you know, and we talk a little bit about that. Um, our actual screen time together is minimal. Um, so really it's more of just like the hanging out on the set and he's a great guy to hang out with. I think Zalman, we talk now and then and I think he called me up and he said, "Hey, uh, I got this thing. I think that you want to do. It's kind of a continuation of the character that you played in Wild Orchid 2. and talked about the character Josh. And, and that's not who I was in the in the Red Shoe Diaries, but the but the essence of the character was sort of sort of like ten years later or something like that um, is what it sort of th- the feel because. Uh, you know, who this kid was in high school and then who he was, you know, later. And it was similar in that way and that was that was interesting to me, um, that that take on it. Um, so he said, Do you think you'd want to do it, shoots in Paris? And I said, I yeah. I mean I I said, Well I should probably read it, but I can guarantee there's nothing in it that will make me not want to go <laughs> shoot this in Paris. So I rode out uh, to his production office and, and we chatted for a while and I went, went over the script and it was like, cool, awesome, you know. Um, and, uh, and it was like days later, you know, there we were. And it was, it was, uh, but, and one of the cool things was his daughter Gillian Lefkowitz, who's a, a terrific artist and a, and a great photographer. She always did all of his uh, set photography. So she was going to be there. Um, so I'd already worked with her. You know, she'd, we'd already become friends on, on Wild Orchid and, 2. Um, and other guys, you know, there was a guy, Rafi Eisenman and, and Bush Kaplan. Those guys were really great guys. Um, and I just, uh, you know, and, and God, I just remember myself in that job. I just thought it was the shit. I was such a God, what an arrogant. Jesus. <laughs> I remember, I remember, you know, and I couldn't hardly, my French was, was pretty okay. After being in, in, you know, in a French-speaking country for a little bit, I'll get to be, you know, my accent's really good and whatever. But initially, I had a hard time relating to the director. Her name was Liddy Callier, and she was a music, she'd done music videos. Um... And her manager, this woman, Odile, she was really great. And she was the kind of the conduit between the two of us. And I couldn't, and, and Lydia Kelly, her her English was not terrific. So she had ideas, she couldn't really communicate. And we'd have a translator and it was kind of disjointed. I mean, it wasn't horrible, you know, but it made it difficult at times and, um, and so when I don't understand something someone's saying you know I sort of start to get a kind of a, a defensive or a fearful position like you wonder if this person even knows what she's talking about and you know am I just mistaking it or is it her is she just dumb <laughs> you know or whatever you come up but you, the fearful mind comes up with all kinds of weird things that will tell you to think and do it's ridiculous so you know I remember um, there being times that I was just Utterly resistant to something because i didn 't understand it wasn't sure that it would be good, and you're dealing with you know you're, you're going to be naked and there's all this kind of stuff you need to be exposed and you know it's it can be fear can be sort of fear inspiring um, anyway to do that kind of work and um, you know so I remember one of the Rafi the producer you know coming up and explaining to me like you you know, you can't just, you know, she says do this and you, and you don't even ask any questions and you just say no. Yeah, because I would, she would come up and say something and if I didn't get it, I'd just go, no, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> 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 what, a, like, who are you, what do you mean you're not going to do that? You don't even try, you know, I wouldn't like, and I, and I don't know why I was, you know, acting like that other than some of the obvious things I've already said. And would go, you can't. Because you can't just say no. You're not going to do that. Like, because you're just an asshole. (laughs) You just, you know. I'm sure. I don't know if you have to bleep this stuff out or not. But yeah, it. um, Yeah, you know. And I. And it. And it. It hit me. It was good that he like sat me down and like said, "You just. You're just being such a jerk. You're just being such an asshole. Like you can't do that." And I was like. Oh yeah, you know, like it finally kind of sunk you know, I felt horrible after that. I realized I like, had just been putting this, this lovely French woman through, you know, these ridiculous, you know, personality foibles of my own. It was really silly. Pamela was like having; she was really fun. It was like uh, she thought I was just like sad. Pamela had, you know, she'd had boyfriends, you know, she. would she was very. Pamela always sort of had this air about her that she was, you know, um, I mean, she's, she, you know, she's a very confident woman. Um, it's way more. The point was, she was way more adult than I, than I was, or am. <laughs> she was mature, you know. She, but she could not that she couldn't, you know. She it wasn't like she was older than her age. She was just mature. She, she thought guys like me were like just ridiculous you know like i was just like a kid an an adult who would not grow up you know and so i would not be her idea of like uh you know a love interest or something like that we would be more like siblings you know really and she she liked to like flip you know, like, flip shit and, you know, have this kind of attitude. And we'd kind of bicker back and forth sometimes in a really playful, fun way. And she, that made it fun. We could, like, joke with each other. And, and, um, but I just remember. <laughs> I remember, like, I, I think we got done with that. I can't remember what happened to my, I think my motorcycle. I think I'd wrecked it or whatever. It was in the shop, and I had to rent a car. And I rolled up, I rented a big four-door Cadillac. And... um I don't know why (laughs) you know I rolled up and like that was she you know such an adult car she's like what is it was almost like what's wrong with him you know because that is not his style at all she thought what is he finally growing up or something you know that kind of thing she'd make comments like that she was a lot of fun it was it was easy to do you know it made it real easy we had a sort of camaraderie made it real easy to do the the scenes that we had to do together and um and J.T. Walsh was just like, uh, he was really fun to hang out with, he, you know, it's, it's just so too bad that he, that he passed, you know, that he passed away. He was, uh, I mean, he was a guy, he was just a total veteran. This guy knew, this guy had done so many films, he could tell you so much, he knew every, the ins and outs of everything, you know. Um, and he didn't sweat about anything. I mean, the guy, he was total pro, knew his lines, just, you know, whatever, and, and, you know, and this real acerbic, sort of sarcastic kind of, you know, I mean, nothing phased this guy, you know, and we got to hang out sometimes, have some dinners with the cast, and there was Dwight, Dwight, you know, you know, I've been a Dwight Yoakam fan for, you know, since I was a teenager, and, um, And so working with a guy like that, uh, you know, you're working with, again, that thing of, you know, an icon, you're just, now you're just sitting and having dinner with him, you know. And JT, and and JT brought his son one time, his son was a really cool guy. And, um, you know, we'd all have these dinners, and a couple times, um, not like we had dinners all the time. But these were people that were really enjoyable to hang out with, and they were all like, um, Dwight was, is um, a really, uh, that guy's, uh, I, you know, I want to say like he's a scholar in, in certain fields. The, the guy, he would, you know, tell this, tell stories of all kinds of things that he knew about. I mean, he's so much, you know, you see this guy on stage with his hat tilted down and he plays this really, you know, traditional bluegrassy kind of vibe. I mean, he's a traditionalist, really, in the country music field, except for some of the, you know, he's done other stuff as departures and they've always been big hits, but you see him as kind of like, you know, you don't get much of the Dwight that when you sit and talk to him, the guy knows about it. tons of stuff. He could go on for you know, all things about Tesla and think tanks and just all this kind of physics, science, all this kind of stuff. I mean, that that's the most compelling thing about him. When you sit down and talk to him, you're like, he's so much more than just this country star. Now I remember he, uh, we were gonna fight, we had this fight where I, you know, I. I beat him, beat him up, and um, and he wanted to feel like you know discomfort and you know he wanted to have some kind of real discomfort register on camera, and he put duct tape on his torso, you know, and he had like hair you know, and he wanted it to like grab and tighten and and whatever to create this feel i mean that 's a kind of invent- uh, inventiveness uh, f- you know for an actor that is um, you know, it's just like, wow, cool. You, When people are working like that, when they're, when they're trying to think of things like that to make it better rather than like coasting through a role, you know, all those, you know, so, so yeah. So those people were awesome to work with. <laughs> Fame LA was a terrific, um, it was an awesome opportunity. I, I really regret what I, you know, my, I just had this attitude doing that thing, Uh, we weren't quite, I remember I had done a pilot um, presentation thing a few years, many years before, I think about five or six years before, and I was doing my band thing and I was doing this pilot thing and I was like I've always done music and, you know, but for so many years, nobody cares now, people do, you just do whatever, you can't be overexposed now. Or you can't be, you know, like, you can do commercials, have a music career, do films, do a TV series, be a host, you know, whatever. It doesn't, you know, um, and but, but for the longest time, people would always push you to, like, choose one or the other, you know. And in terms of actually bringing those two together, I hadn't yet, you know, attempted that. I'd sort of kicked the idea around for long. along came this show. But the thing was, they'd written this, they'd went and auditioned for it and this was another one of my like I was on another uh comeback <laughs> and what was horrible was that i um i'd been sober for a while you know and i was really actively trying to like uncover lots of the stuff about myself and whatever but i um but i but i also was really still like my ego was just out of control you know and i i had Reactions. I had habitual re- reactions to things that were still just ingrained, you know, that were fear-based and that kind of stuff. And I brought those all into. You think like, oh, somebody gets sober, they get better, you know, and I don't think I was any better in that period of of being so sober and and, um, and I think that's why, it, you know, ultimately at that time didn't last is that I I didn't I still would react, you know, my my ego and my you know. I would cover and defend my ego with things like arrogance and judgment and I would, you know, like, I remember telling, like, going into one of the writers um, on that thing and, and telling her, her why her, the scene that she'd written didn't work and not at a, you know, in a really abrasive, in a really arrogant, like, you can come in and talk to people about their work. That's, there's nothing wrong with that. But I had this attitude, like, that they just, you know, like, you don't get it and I do. Um, and, um, and I didn't, I didn't really get it, <laughs> you know, that's like, um, ironically, so I went about offending my coworkers. you know, in various personal ways, due to my attitude and my actions, um, unfortunately on that. And they had created this role for me. The role was a comedian that was a brother to the Chris Kane character and I came in and I sang True Companion by Mark Cohn and they loved it um and um uh they actually kept the track the audition track that's the track we went and tried to do it you know let's okay let's do it for real and and they're like yeah we're just going to do the we're going to use the audition track it's better you can't you can't top it and um and they'd made the character into a musician you know and they you know uh and we had the same name and everything. I mean, basically, it was me, you know, and um, they did this. they were so excited about having me and whatever and i and I would just like if I didn't like something or I was scared of it, you know, if I was scared of how it was going to make me look, my my musician credibility or my whatever, and all these weird, imagined scenarios, and my head was making up stories about, and they were all negative, you know. And unfortunately, I took that out on, you know, those producers who had so graciously brought me into this. And I, like, I wanted to, everyone else signed on for two years. Um, The show only went one year. But here's another example of a huge blunder of mine. I was like, no, 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 no. We'll see how the film does, the TV series does after a year. And then I'll sign on for year two. Like, what? What are you thinking? So they end up, you know, going for two years. These are pay-or-play deals. They all got paid. They, were, they all got paid for every episode. They got the full amount of their deal. Me, I'm like, no, 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 no. I only want to do, like, seven episodes and not necessarily want to do the second year because what if the show sucks? No one cares if the show sucks, you know? It's a syndicated... It was just stupid, just utter stupidity, you know, on my part. So totally short-sighted. So other than that... <laughs> all that dramatic garbage, I, um, I had a great time working with those people and it was familial, it was like we were a bunch of brothers and sisters, you know, and, he, he, and they offered to give us dance, you know, I got to take some tap lessons, um, I got to work with great songwriters, you know, other great musicians, I mean they hired the best people in the business and this guy Robbie Buchanan, who did all the, you know, did all the recording, he headed up all the recordings, he, the guy was great, Jeff Pollock was the music supervisor. He was one of the partners at, at uh, Trilogy. And he was in charge of a lot of the music. And he was getting married to this woman named Darcy. And she was, lo- she was a wonderful, wonderful lady. And, um, and her favorite thing was my recording of True Companion. So she wanted me to sing at their wedding. So of course, I agreed. And I was even, I was even sick. I, my throat was just hoarse. Well, Jeff Pollack had worked with everybody imaginable in the business. Everybody. So his wedding party consisted of um, Elton John, Sting, Bruce Springsteen, Bono. These were the people who were going to watch me sing this song for Darcy and Jeff at the wedding. I mean, talk, and Robbie Buchanan was there and and was going to play the keys, and it was him on the keys, and I would just sing. And um, I would, I'm sitting there, I mean, it was surreal. Hans Zimmer, you know, one of the uh, awesome, you know, legendary composer. Um, and all these people, every, every solo male vocalist <laughs> of the day, you know, who had been doing it, they were like the top of the business. I don't know how much, you know, mega record sales were sitting right there on this patio that was Darcy and Jeff's. It was like, something got through it, you know. They were all, everyone was nice. I can't remember, a couple of them. I can't remember if it was Sting or Bono. Someone came up and said, you know, nice job, something like that. Um, and I sat... Uh, my girlfriend, my fiancé at the time, um, Roxana, she was with me and we sat and talked to Hans Zimmer for probably, I think he, we sat down and ate some food at the same table and, and he and I talked for, I don't know, an hour and a half probably, you know, so another one of those like totally <laughs> weird, surreal kind of things, you know, so yeah, overall, I mean, I look back, that was a terrific, uh, it was a terrific job to have had. It's unfortunate it couldn't have gone further, you know. But and that job, I had been doing um, Fame LA, and so um, I basically just got fitted right into the to that role because um, Trilogy did both those shows, Fame LA and The Outer Limits. So the producers from that just put me in that. But the cool thing about that is you get to go to Vancouver and you stay at the Sutton Place Hotel, which is great. And they had me on this. I had a great room. I felt so cool during this time. Had a great room with this balcony, top floor. It was like a penthouse-ish. I think it was, um, it was like a suite, I think. And Maria was, she's a really sweet lady. She's kind. She's nice to everybody. You know, she's got a good sense of humor, all that kind of stuff. And she became, her role was to be, you know, protective of all these people. And I'm this horrible bad guy. And I remember, um... upset this old lady because we all had to cram into this one shot around this hospital bed and and my character is agitated and whatever and she ends up like we're trying to do this take and something that like i got in the way i think the camera was doing something and i moved forward and i really didn't mean to to do anything and i bumped her and and she like you know like almost fell over and then, you know, so I'm already the the dick, the bad guy in the thing, and I have this attitude, you know, and then I knock over the old lady. <laughs> it's just like uh, you know and I'm profusely apologizing and um yeah, so and and Maria of course is you know, she's she's attendant to the woman, you know, making sure everyone's all right and smoothing everything and stuff like that. So the deal with Brendan Fraser and me, we ended up going up against each other on a couple of things. But I think the, the, the first thing that was like, that, that was unfortunate was the thing. Um, he auditioned for singles in Seattle. And they were holding auditions down here too, and the casting people had thought that they'd already seen me when they had seen him because we were both it was similar names we looked kind of alike, and he'd auditioned there and so they wouldn't see me here because they were convinced that they'd already seen some they'd already seen me and, um and then uh and it wasn't going to be that big a deal i I didn't immediately change my name um but uh but there were a couple of other things that he and I went up against each other for. One was a, uh, a TV movie with Martin Sheen, and he did he did a great job in this. I mean, he was a good actor. I was glad, you know. I later saw, you know, when that finally came out, and he was he was a really good actor, powerful actor. Um, and uh, and we went. Up, I also went up for school ties, and I also went up for a little independent film called Twenty Bucks, um, and. Uh, yeah, and and I remember sitting. My big, you know, disappointment with him was that I I remember talking to him when we were in the in the casting waiting room for twenty bucks, and I was like, "So, do you know anything about like your family history or you know whatever?" And he's like, "I don't you know," like, like totally acted like either it was actor vibe, like, "Don't try to talk to me. Don't try to." You know whatever being standoffish by way of it being protective of his work or something I don't know uh or he just really you know genuinely just didn't care didn't had didn't have any idea didn't want to <laughs> you know and it's so weird to me in in my just in my family that it's just you'd never hear that you know it's like if someone was a real you know you know he was real lame or he was like mediocre or just kind of adequate or something like that. Um, you know it could bug you but um, but brendan Fraser's a really good actor he 's a really good actor. I mean there are things there are movies he 's done i don 't like but I, but you know i 've seen him, uh, but he 's really adequate the only thing i didn 't like is we both ended up in a in a magazine called in Fashion, I think it turned into something else it was a, it was like a young Hollywood. And um, he was on one page, and then I... I think I was on one page, and then he was on the page back. I don't... I'm pretty sure I came first. But that might just be my ego talking. But anyway, we got interviewed, you know, and they had these... And um, something... It was either in that or something around that time. We were both doing a lot of press at that time. And he made some comment like, Yeah, but... Yeah, there's Brent Fraser. They asked him this similar kind of question. And they're like, Yeah, but he's... He's a musician. I'm the actor, you know. And I was like, you, have, I was, you know, I was stunning critics when you were still playing with your mom's dolls, you know, <laughs> That's what my attitude was like. How dare you, you know? Uh, but whatever. He probably just didn't know. I don't think he ever saw my work in Seattle or or whatever. If there's anything to say about him, if he's, you know. It's just like in this. I won't be dismissive about someone like that. He's a decent actor. Whatever those confusions were at that time, you know, he's, the guy's good. So I don't have any problem saying that. Some people do. Please spare me the psychobabble, OK? I've had enough of it for one lifetime. But I got to a point, I think, in my career where um, uh, I would tend to isolate. And I think that the thing, I think it was fear. I think that I started to anticipate, you know, when I would start to anticipate that there, that I was gonna have to show up, like, I would like to come in, be your best friend, I'd do anything for you, you know? Um, but I couldn't be held to that, you know? So, so I would keep a distance between myself and other people because I, I feared expectations being laid upon me, you know? In my family, um, you know, we're a Scottish family on both sides, my mom and my dad, but, you know, you're, you, I grew up in this, this culture of Scottishness, um, that f- so much of it is this identity of, of, uh, fighting, you know, and, um, and I have, you know, a lot of military history in my family and all that kind of stuff, and, um, and, and. And that's what we do. I mean, Scottish people. That's what you know. The, we're we're the sh- we're everything from the shock troops to you know to, I mean, the, that's what they do. They take Scottish soldiers and send send them everywhere. Um, and, and historically, always have done. And you do kind of get this this thing. You know, I have a, an innate sort of visceral respect for combat, and it's natural to me to fight everyone and everything. <laughs> and you know unfortunately in the in the arena of personal growth you know you you've got to at one point come you know all of your your pains your discomforts your whatever no matter what's happened to you at some point as an adult person you have to come to understand that you're making choices nothing's being done to you you know it's not them it's me you know was one, once I ultimately really could own that that choice, and I could look back and tell these stories. You know, I, it, it, I have regrets that I that I offended people, I hurt people's feelings, or I, you know, denigrated somehow their craft or something like that. That's awful to think that that that, that I've done that to people that I respect and liked and cared about, you know. Um, but I did do that, you know, and and when I realized that my real foe, this this whole. You know, like, it it became this thing about, well, if you're going to fight, you know, the whole idea uh, of freedom, you know, is that um, you can't get free, you can't win any of this, like, until you identify who your real foe is. And and the real foe, for me, was if I could get the guy that's up here out of the way of the guy that's here, you know. Like, you know, you can put all this information in here, but you have to have transformation in here, you know? So that's sort of what it took. Then I could identify my real enemy, and that's this guy who's trying to make me have a totally miserable life, you know? If you can fight that guy, you can get free. What I've come to understand is that um, uh, all of those things, those fear-based drives, all start to go away you know they're all they're me centered you know and they they start to lose control they lose their grip on me when i take all of, when i can take some of my experience or something that i know and turn it to how can i help so it becomes instead of what's in it for me it becomes how can i help you know what's in it for me is going to be just fine but what i know is that all the voices of fear and agitation and, and that kind of stuff and wanting Now, I'd love my career to be different now, but it's not, you know. But it goes away when I turn my my heart and my hands to helping someone else. I don't think about it. I think about them, you know. I think about stuff that I can do for other people who feel, you know, lost or alone or confused, whatever. And I have tons of experience with lost alone and confused. (laughs) So I can be helpful. So it doesn't matter how far down the scale I went, I can that can benefit someone, you know. And then, then I get peace again, you know? So when I got this guy chewing on like, you know, you need to be da 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 -da," telling me how to muscle fuck some other situation to get something, you know, then I'm just down and I'm just back in the same hole, you know, restless, irritable, discontent. I mean, all that stuff, all that stuff, just like, it's not just for artists, it's not just for actors or, or people in this field we all have, you know, fears that t- to varying degrees govern decisions that we make about what we do in relationships and, and, um, and you know, so, so that really I was just, my life was more, that time I wasn't really conscious of that per se, so it was more, um, I was more subject to uh, impulses like that. that, that I, you know, I wasn't self-aware, really, so it's probably TMI.